Good evening again. Hey, I forgot to say this um, earlier. So we are in our soft launch right now, right? So we've got, counting last week, we've got eight weeks leading up to Easter. And so during these eight weeks, we're kind of uh, we're kind of f- uh, figuring it out a little bit as we go. So we're a little scaled down up until this March seventh date that we talked about, and uh, we're uh, each week kind of building a little bit and doing some things and making tweaks and kind of getting everything right. With April fourth, which is Easter Sunday, April fourth is the Saturday before Easter Sunday because we do Saturday services here, right? But April 4th is kind of our hard launch date. And so um, that's the date that we're kind of looking forward to and when we begin to promote a little bit more publicly that we're launching services. So I just want to make everybody aware of that. Um, One of the the shows that Marsh and I like to watch is a show called Forever. You guys heard the show? Uh, So it's a whodunit, which... Marsh and I like who done. It's like the ones where somebody dies and then you got to like figure out who killed them, you know? We're kind of morbid that way, I guess. But anyway, this show, it's kind of an interesting show. It's like kind of your regular who done it. So it's about this guy, Dr. Henry Morgan is his name. He's English. So it's Dr. Henry Morgan, right? And uh, he's a New York City medical examiner. And what he does is, you know, the, the plot of the show for the most part is he works with the police and they try to figure out who done it, you know, who, who killed this person, whatever. But it's a who done it with a twist. So it's a little bit different. Everything's got to have a twist today, right? So this is a who done it with a twist. And the twist is that Dr. Henry Morgan is immortal, okay? So somewhere about 40 years old, uh, he, something happened to him, he died, and he just came back to life immediately, and um, ever since then, he dies regularly, most episodes he dies, and then comes back to life, and when he comes back to life, um, it's always in a body of water somewhere, and it's always naked, which is a little hokey, it's a little weird, but it makes for kind of some funny scenes, that sort of thing, but anyway, so, so he's this immortal, relatively young immortal, he's about 200 years old. But then, and he's solving crimes with the, with the New York City police. But then there's this whole sort of subplot along the way that's really interesting because there's this other guy who also is an immortal. And we don't know a whole lot about him at this point, but he calls himself Adam. And Adam is a much older immortal than Dr. Henry, okay? And so Adam is, whereas Dr. Henry sort of enjoys his immortality, right? He's kind of a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, uh, even though he's a medical examiner. He's kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. This guy, Adam, is really different than him. And we don't know that much about him so far in the series, other than he's about 2,000 years old, and he's been through, it seems like he's been through a lot of terrible pain and tragedy in those 2,000 years, which has caused him to live this very lonely existence and become bitter and no longer value human life. And really, all he longs for is for his life to end. And so in this character, this Adam character, you see the terrible, horrific power of loneliness on the life of a human being and how it really turns this guy, Adam, into something or someone almost inhuman. And so Dr. Morgan then, as another immortal, is put in this sort of fascinating existential dilemma, right? So he looks at this guy, Adam, and he could become like Adam. He could sort of shut himself off from the world, isolate himself, not really let anybody in, keep, keep people at an arm's distance away in order to kind of protect who he is because if they find out he's immortal, bad things could happen, right? They could do experiments on him. It could make life really difficult and eventually end up becoming this angry, bitter person who doesn't value life and just wants to die 
He could be that, or he could take a risk, and he could open up his life, and he could let people in on his secret, or at least some people in on his secret, and experience some intimate relationships, some intimacy in his relationships as people know a little bit about him, but it's a risk because bad things could happen to him. So it's sort of this really interesting thing. And in this guy, Adam, you see the destructive power of isolation and loneliness. Loneliness is an, incredible, an incredibly powerful feeling that we can feel as human beings. I think it's one of the, the worst, most painful feelings that we could feel. And it can change us if we're not careful. And if we experience it too long, it can change us into someone that we never thought we would be and, some th- and do things that we never thought that we would do. You ever feel loneliness in your life? Like, like the dark kind of loneliness. Maybe, maybe tonight, even as you come here, you're experiencing loneliness. And if you are, we're so glad that you're here. This is a good place for you to be. And I hope tonight maybe... Maybe it gives you a little bit of hope. I know in my own life, I experienced a time of pretty deep loneliness. I uh, had a person that I trusted, uh, deeply trusted, and they betrayed me. I don't think that's too strong of a word. They betrayed me. And so I was hurt, like really, really badly. I was hurt. And I remember feeling so alone. And so what do people that are hurt and feeling alone do? Well, they isolate themselves, right? And so that's what I did. I picked up and I moved down to Florida, far away from everybody and everything that I knew. I didn't know anybody down there except my aunt and uncle, and I just started over. And I remember feeling so alone down there. And in many ways, I chose it, you know, because I didn't want to deal with people, because people hurt me. I just didn't want to deal with that pain anymore. In many ways, I chose that. I closed myself off from everybody. And I was a Christian at the time. And I remember just crying out to God, just going to him and praying and trying to listen to him and yet still feeling so alone. I hate loneliness. I hate loneliness. I really value times of being alone in my life, and I need those times to be alone, but loneliness stinks. Like, everybody hates loneliness. It's one step away from hopelessness, which I think is the worst feeling that we as human beings can feel. And probably we all feel loneliness at times, right? sometimes to lesser or greater degrees, but we all feel it sometimes, and it stinks. Well, tonight, we're going to talk about a very powerful solution to loneliness in our lives, and hopefully, we'll walk out of here together a little better able to overcome it. So last week, we started a series. We started our very first series at the Barberton Campus, and it's called Epicenter. You heard it in the video. We said Epicenter, what it is, is it's the true center of a disturbance from which the shock waves of an earthquake apparently radiate. It's the center, essentially it's the center point of an earthquake. It's the center of a disturbance that sends shock waves out in every direction, affecting everything in its path. And we said the bigger the disturbance, the vaster the shock waves. And we said that the gospel is like the epicenter of an earthquake in our lives. It's a disturbance. Many of, for many of us, it's a very violent disturbance that's changed, absolutely changed life as we know it. And the shock waves radiate out from this gospel, and it affects every single part of us, every part of us. And last week, we said that because of the gospel, I don't live for myself any longer. 
because of the gospel in my life, life is no longer about me. No longer am I the center of my universe. Because of the power of gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life, now he is the center of my universe. And he's changing me. And he's causing me to see people differently. No longer do I see people in worldly ways, right? No longer do I see people in selfish ways. Now I see them as God sees them. And I love them the way that God loves them. And I even get to show them, we talked about this, we're his ambassadors, right? We even get to show them Jesus by the way that we live our lives. It's the mission that God left us here on after we've encountered Jesus. We're his ambassadors. The way that we say it around here is we live to make Jesus make sense, right? That's our very first value. We live to make Jesus make sense to a world and to a people that we love, knowing how screwed up many of us are and have been, right? Like, we don't do this. We don't live to make Jesus make sense as people who, like, have it all figured out, right? None of us is perfect. None of us has it all figured out. We don't do it with some sort of an elitism. We do it with humility, remembering the way that God has changed us. And we want people to experience that same sort of transforming power in their lives that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we talked about last week. Well, today I want to look at something that I think is really, really important to God. And so it's really, really important to us too. Here it is. Ready? We're going to throw it up on the screen. This is our second value. Let's say it together. Ready? We share life together. So we do. We share life together. We cannot live without honest relationships. We're resolved to figure out how to love God, love each other, and live on mission together. That's our second value here at Grace Church. I want to say it again. We share life together. We cannot live without honest relationships. We're resolved to figure out how to love God, love each other, and live on mission together. I want to jump back to loneliness for a second. Like, do you ever wonder where loneliness comes from? Like, I'm kind of weird. I think about this stuff, right? Do you ever wonder where loneliness comes from? Like, why do all human beings at least occasionally experience and universally hate loneliness? Because not all creatures feel this, right? Like, not every living thing feels loneliness the way that we do. Like, I don't think cats experience loneliness. Cats don't even like people. They don't even like each other, right? Dogs, on the other hand, they do. But why do we experience this loneliness? Well, in your, in your program, flip it over if you would. Maybe you want to write this down. Um, why do we hate loneliness? Well, I think we hate loneliness because we were made to live life together. Why is loneliness like so detestable to each of us? Well, I think it's detestable to us. No one, I've never met anybody that goes, I love being lonely. No one says that because we were made to live life together. I think this is good for us to think about. God made us in real specific ways for specific things and with very specific purposes. And he's given us feelings to alert us, right? Not always right away, not always immediately, but he gives us these feelings to alert us when our lives are a little bit out of whack. And one of the ways that he made us is to live in relationships with other people, to live in community. And when we're not we start to have that feeling that all of us hate, that feeling of loneliness. The Bible talks about this, right? There's, there's a few instances, actually there's quite a few instances in the Bible that talks about how we, you and I were made to live in community. We were made to do life together. One of them is that we were made in the image of God. You ever heard that? The Imago Dei, you and I were made in the image of God. So in Genesis chapter 1, towards the end of Genesis chapter 1, this is what it says. 
Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Notice the, I think those are plural pronouns there, right? English person, is it plural pronouns? Is that right? The, the us, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. This is God talking. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, all, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So you and I, this is, this is not true about any other living thing in creation. This is true about us. You and I are made in the very image of God. And how does God exist? Well, he's one God, three persons, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God himself exists in perfect relational community with himself. That's how God is. God exists in perfect community with himself. And you and I are designed to live, we're, we're designed in his image, and we're designed to live in community too. And when we don't, we feel it, right? He also says, you go to the next chapter in, in Genesis, and God says it's not good to be alone. Genesis 2, right after God makes Adam, 2.18, it says, the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And so what does he do? Who does he make? He makes Eve, right? And where would men be without women today? We'd be lost little puppies, wouldn't we, men? Yes. Yeah. So it's not good for men to be alone. You and I are made in the very image of God. God himself is in perfect community, perfect relationship with himself. And then think about this. Like, how do you and I come into existence? We come into existence as part of a family, right? Every single one of us comes into existence with a mother or father. He could have made us differently, right? He could have made us like the plants. He could have made us like bacteria or algae. They don't have a mom and dad, right? They don't have a mom and dad. He could have made us like a, a tomato plant and just sort of grow up out of the soil. Tomato plants don't have moms and dads. But we're different. We have a relational connection to the origins of our life, right? Every single one of us has or has had a mom and a dad. That's how God made us. He made us to come into this world as part of a community, as part of a family. God made us to do life together. It's how he designed us. We're social beings. And if we're alone too much, you know what happens? Bad things happen. You know what happens? We get a little weird, right? Like we're alone too much. We get a little weird. We start being uncomfortable. You ever experienced this? I've experienced this. The time of my life I was sharing about earlier, you know, I, you, you just kind of isolate yourself and then people make you nervous and then you make other people nervous. You make people uncomfortable. That's what happens. We're not designed to be alone too much. If, if we're not in meaningful relationships, which we'll talk about what that means here in a second, if we're not in meaningful relationships, then at best, at best, we're missing something significant that God has for us in this life, and eventually we're going to feel it, and that feeling that none of us likes called loneliness. We believe in this so strongly, sharing life together, at Grace Church, this is so important for us. You know what the very first ministry that we launched here at the Barberton campus was? This is four or five months ago. You know what it was? Grace groups. Small groups. Because we said relationships are incredibly important. Before we do anything else, we got to get people to know each other. We got to get people to share life together, to develop these relationships and this intimacy, because that drives so much of what we do here as a church and as followers of Jesus. 
But I think that there's something here that can be very, very, very misunderstood and is incredibly important to us in our charge to live life together. You know what it is? It's why. Like, why do we do this? Why is it so important? Besides the fact that God made us this way, why is it so important for us to do life together? Why do we do it? And it's not enough to just say, well, the Bible tells us so. That's a terrible answer for most people, right? The Bible tells us so. He does tell us so. But why does the Bible tell us to do this? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of the church sharing life together? I want you to tune in really closely right now because what we're going to talk about, I think, is imperative for us to understand, especially especially as we launch this campus. And I'll be very honest with you and tell you that there was a long time in my own life where I think I missed the why. I missed the reason that God tells us to do life together. I think I got it backwards. So I don't want us to miss this because if we do, it can very easily twist our theology. It can confuse our theology and it can make us miss the purpose of the church. I want us to tune in. So I want to I explain it with a metaphor. Why do we do life together? Why is this so important? Well, when I was younger, these are shake weights, by the way. Yeah. When I was younger, I got pretty into bodybuilding. Like, I just loved it. It was, it was something that um, I think it was probably for vanity reasons, I'll be honest with you, to get the ladies. Right, Marsha? All right. <laughs> anyway, I got really into bodybuilding. And the purpose of bodybuilding, bodybuilding is a unique thing. It's different than other ways of working out because the purpose of bodybuilding is very specific. Do you know what the purpose is? The purpose of bodybuilding is to look a certain way. It's different than other sorts of training. Even at its highest levels, the highest levels of bodybuilding when you compete, how do you win a bodybuilding contest? You're the one who looks the best. It's not who's strongest. It's not who's leanest. It's not who has the best endurance. The way that you win a bodybuilding contest is by how you look. The purpose of bodybuilding is to get your body to look a certain way. And so when you train for bodybuilding, you train very specifically. And so if I were going to train my shoulders in bodybuilding, here's what I would do. I would sit down, right, and I'd get in a chair with a back like this, I get my weights, not my shake weights. I'd probably use like 90-pound dumbbells or something. And I'd pull them up like this. And then I'd kick them up to my shoulders. I'd have my back supported. And I would do everything I could to isolate these shoulder muscles in a very controlled way, just like this. Up, down, up, down, up, down. I would try to use as little tricep, bicep, forearm, ab. I would try to isolate these shoulders as much as I could and do all of the work with Okay, and then what I would do is I would do three other exercises focusing on the shoulders as well, and that would be a workout. The goal of bodybuilding is to make your body look a certain way. The goal of bodybuilding is not to like be able to go out and do life really well and be able to like run really fast and jump really high. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, when I was doing bodybuilding, it was the time of my life that I probably hurt myself the most. <laughs> Because I would like work out and then I would go play basketball and I would injure my back because my core wasn't that strong because I wasn't used to doing like dynamic movements where you're moving and reacting and stuff because that's not what you do in bodybuilding. In fact, I remember 
playing ping pong. So this is probably the time of my life when I was like maybe the most in shape, okay? I remember playing ping pong. And when I play ping pong, I'm like really into it, you know? Playing ping pong, blah, blah. And then I go down to pick up a ping pong ball. I pick it up and I herniate a disc in my back, picking up a ping pong ball. I would lift heavy dumbbells, picking up a ping pong ball. I herniate a disc in my back, right? Bodybuilding prepares you to look good It does not. The goal of bodybuilding is not to be able to do life well. It's not the goal. But later I found something called functional training. You ever heard of functional training? Functional training is a different sort of thing because the purpose of functional training is to excel at real life. That's what you do. The goal is to excel at real life. And so how I look is secondary. It's not even that important. The goal is to be able to excel at real life. And so when you do a shoulder workout, for example, with functional training, you're always standing. Most of the things are like body weight things, and you're always standing. And here's how I would do it. I pick up my weights, not my shake weights again, probably like 90-pound dumbbells. But I pick them up, and I go like this. I kick them up here, and then I press it, probably go up on my toes like this, come back down, lower them, bring them back down here, and do it all again. So when I'm doing it, I'm using my calves, I'm using my quads, I'm using my butt, I'm using my lower back, my whole girdle area, my core, my shoulders, my triceps, everything. And it's a dynamic movement, and they're faster movements. Because the purpose is not to isolate in a controlled environment like it is with bodybuilding. The purpose is to do movements that will train me to excel in real life. You following me? Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I think we can... I'm out of breath. This is bad. This is terrible. (laughs) I'm telling you this because I think we can very mistakenly see the purpose of doing life together like the purpose of bodybuilding. Ultimately, the goal of bodybuilding is to train to look a certain way, not to excel at doing real life, right? And sometimes we see this as the goal of doing... of the church doing life together, like, I'm not going to, I'm going to go to my grace group and I'm going to hang out in a nice, comfortable, controlled environment and I'm going to learn more and I'm going to grow and I'm going to get like polished off and buffed up so that I can look really good for everybody to see, but never really do anything with it because I've already accomplished my goal. My goal is to look good. I look pretty good, right? So I'm never really doing anything with it. I'm never stepping out. I'm relatively cleaned up. And the parts of me that aren't real good, I'm going to cover up and I'm going to keep to myself because I see the goal of sharing life together as looking good and having other people see that I look good. Or maybe it looks like me going to five different Bible studies or Sunday school classes and knowing tons about theology and the Bible but being absolutely worthless and going out and explaining who Jesus is to somebody that desperately wants to know. Guys, can I just be real blunt and real honest with you? That is an incredibly selfish perspective on the purpose of the church and the purpose of doing life together and not at all how God designed it for us. The goal of doing life together isn't to polish ourselves off and make make ourselves look good so that other people will be impressed by us. The goal of the church sharing life together is to train us to excel at real life. And not just any real life, but the real life that God has called us to live. To go out and make disciples. 
to help Jesus make sense to the world. This is a huge, we've got to get this. This is a huge paradigm shift for us in understanding, like, why we do this. Why is sharing life together so important? It's not just for me. It's not just for what I get. The goal isn't to polish me up and make me look good for everybody to see. The goal in doing life together is to train me to live the life that Jesus called me to live with purpose and excellence and effectiveness. Listen, I don't go to my grace group in order to be fed. Like, I'm a big boy. I could feed myself, right? I don't go to my grace group in order to be fed. Now, every time I go, I am fed, right? because people challenge me. I don't go to my grace group to receive from others, although every time I go, I learn something from what other people share, how other people understand things. I go to my grace group to be trained and challenged to live my life in a way that helps Jesus make sense to the world. And I go to invest in and challenge other people to do the same. That's why I do it. That's why I share life together. It's not just about me. It's to train me to go out. I'd love for you to take a second and write this down. This is our second point here. Life together trains us to go make Jesus make sense. It trains us to go. Don't miss that word go. It trains us to go make Jesus make sense. That's the purpose. That's the primary goal. And you know what's so cool? That's so cool. As that happens, by, by seeing life together as a training, right, a training for real life to help me go make Jesus make sense, as that happens, I actually begin to look different. It's the same thing with functional training. The goal of functional training is not to look a certain way, but you know what happens when you train that way? Your body begins to look a certain way. Your body begins to change. Your body responds to the work that you do, and you begin to excel, and you begin to look good as well. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing as we do life together, and we train, and we challenge each other to go out and do real life and help Jesus make sense. We start to look different. We start to change. We start to look a little bit more like Jesus looks, right? We begin to see people the way that he sees people. We begin to love people the way that he loves people. And sin and pride and selfishness and all those things become less attractive to us and less the norm because it's not really about us any longer. It's incredible. And guess what else happens? Guess what else happens? I build these incredibly deep relationships when I do this, when I share life together in a way with a, with a, with a purpose of training me to send me to go out and help make Jesus make sense. I develop relationships with people that, are, that love me, that, that like genuinely care about who I am, that encourage me, that cry with me when I cry, that suffer with me, that struggle with me, that pray with me, and one day will share eternity with me. And when all this is done right, and we have our focus right, when our focus is on Jesus and his word, when all this is done right, something amazing happens. You know what happens? The, the group of people that we're sharing life with together gets bigger. It grows because people come to know who Jesus is, and they see that we're living a little bit different, and we care about each other, and we're not living for ourselves anymore, and they go, I want to be part of that. I want to experience that. In Hebrews 10, it says, <coughs> excuse me, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. He who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Guys, it's a beautiful thing. 
It's a beautiful thing. You and I have the chance to create and be a part of this, sharing life together as we launch this campus. In fact, I would take it a step further. I would say, you and I have the responsibility to create this and to do this, to share life together in this way as we launch this campus because we're not launching this campus just to create something that's fun, just to create something that's for us. We're launching this campus with a purpose because we love this community and we want to see people experience Jesus the way that we've experienced Jesus. I want to I finish our time kind of talking about what it looks like. Like what is, what is sharing life together look like and what does it require of us? I will always try to be honest with you. I will always try to be honest with you. I'll say this. Doing this is not easy. Like sharing life together is beautiful, it's incredible, but it requires a lot from us. Sharing life together, uh, the reward is huge, the reward is immense, but it costs us. And there's a risk that we have to be willing to take. If I were to sum it up, here's how I'd sum it up, I'd say it this way. Life together is a beautiful mess. Life together is a beautiful mess. And I think it has to be both of those things. I think it has to be, always has to be beautiful. I think it's always going to be a little bit messy, right? Because if it's not beautiful, then we're not depending on and experiencing the power of the gospel in our lives. We're depending on maybe ourselves. Maybe, maybe we're focusing more on our comfort than on making disciples. If it's not beautiful, we're not experiencing, we're not depending on the power of the gospel, then if it's not at least a little bit messy, then we're probably not being honest with ourselves. And we're probably not working through the baggage and the gunk that every single one of us builds up in our lives as we walk through this life. It's beautiful because of the relationships, because of the deep, authentic, real relationships where I can know other people and I can be known by other people, you know, where I can be loved and accepted just where I'm at for who I am, but not left there but also challenged to become the guy that God has designed me to be. We have to love each other enough to help each other grow, right? One of the things my dad, my dad just turned 70 years old. Crazy. I remember when he was 42, I think is my earliest memory. He's 70 years old. And one of the things, we have a men's group. One of our grace groups is a men's group. We meet on Saturday mornings. And one of the things that my dad talks about regularly, he brings up regularly, and I'm so glad that he does, he, he says something like this. He said, all, you know, it all boils down to relationships. It all boils down to relationships. And I think about my life, you know, as a, as a younger guy, not that young, but as a younger guy, it's easy to think that other things are more important, you know, like money or fame or, or security or power or comfort or stuff or whatever. It's easy to, to kind of get distracted by some of that other stuff. And I so appreciate when he says, you know what, guys? In my 70 years, here's what I've discovered. It's all about relationships. Relationship with the Lord and relationships with people. Life together is beautiful because of these relationships. Because you know people always have your back. As a follower of Jesus, when you share life together with others, you're never alone. You're never alone. No matter what you and I go through, when we genuinely share life together, we're never alone. And that feels good. You know, we've got family. There are other people who are absolutely committed to you and to me. And it feels so good when you realize you're not the only one, and it's freeing, and you know what it does? It allows us to live with abandon. Like, it allows us to take some risks. 
It allows us to step out in faith because we know that we're not just doing this by ourselves. We have people behind us. We have people that care about us. We have people that are supporting us. It allows me to take a chance and follow Jesus with abandon. It's beautiful, but it's also messy. You know why it's messy? Because we're human. We're humans. We sin. We struggle. We live in a world that has a lot of rotten things, a lot of bad things. Sometimes as humans, we get in bad moods, right? I do. Sometimes as humans, we do stupid things. Guilty. Sometimes as humans, we say the wrong things. I have. Sometimes as humans, we're not a lot of fun. I'm usually pretty fun. One of the things I tell people when, uh, when I do premarital counseling with them is, uh, you know, like when, when somebody's about to get married, when couples are about to get married, they're all giddy, they're all excited, and life's going to be so great, we're never going to have any problems. And I always stop them and say, hey, you know that she's going to wake up in the morning with bad breath, right? Like, it's not always roses. It's going to happen. I deal with it every day. No, just kidding. Just joking. It's my wife back there, folks. <laughs> right? Life together is not always pretty. It doesn't always feel good. It's messy sometimes because we're human. But guess what? That's actually a good thing for us. Experiencing messy life, other people's messy lives and our messy life is actually a good thing for us. Believe it or not, being around tough things and tough people can actually make us better followers of Jesus. You know why? Because we learn how to forgive people. And we were reminded how God has forgiven us. We, we learn how to have thick skin and recognize that things aren't always personal. It's not always personal. We learn to be gracious with people, and we're reminded about how God has been so gracious with us. We learn maturity as we're around people that maybe are a little bit less mature. We learn generosity as we experience people's needs, Right? And we're reminded about how generous God has been with us in our times of need. I can assure you of this. If you spend any amount of time at Grace Church or any other church for that matter, it's just a matter of time before someone rubs you the wrong way and offends you and kind of hurts you. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time before that happens. But when it does, it gives us a chance to live out our faith, to respond the way that Jesus calls us to respond. Life together is beautifully messy. As we, and we as Christ's church, we got to be ready to help each other in their messes. Like we're not people that move away from the mess. When we see mess, we don't move away from the mess. As followers of Jesus, when we see mess, we move toward the mess. We don't ignore it. We're not repulsed by it but we move toward the mess and we help clean up the mess. That's what we do. That's what honest relationships are about, right? Honest relationships is we figure out how to love God and love each other and live on mission together. And it takes commitment and it takes sacrifice and it takes risk on our part. It means that there's sacrifices that I have to make in order to do life together. It takes time, right? It takes a lot of time to do life together. You have to spend time together. It's, it's got to be a priority in our lives. And we've got to step outside of ourselves and step outside of our families as time, at times. I think, I, think, I think sometimes we can have an unhealthy focus on our families. Okay, 
Please hear me here. Let me get on my soapbox for just a second. Please hear me here. We never neglect our families, right? We love our families. We act like dads. We act like moms. But I think sometimes we can treat our families like they are the center of the universe. And the truth is the world that God calls us to is much bigger than just our families. We don't neglect them. But we step outside of our families, too. Marsha and I talk about this, you know. We were talking about it the other day. Saturdays are a big commitment for us, too, like anybody else here, right? With all the stuff that it, that it goes into setting up church and doing services and tearing down church, it's a lot of work. And so we lose our entire Saturdays. And one of the things that we talk about is, like, the kids are here a lot, you know? Like, how do we feel about that? You know what conclusion we came to? We don't feel one bit guilty about that. Not one bit guilty about that. In fact, it's good for our kids to see and experience mom and dad thinking outside of themselves, right? Thinking outside of ourselves and them because they're not the center of the universe as well. It's good for them to see that, to see us care about and love this community that we're a part of. I I will step down from my soapbox now. Thank you for allowing me to do that. But it takes time and it takes commitment, and it takes priority to get over me, to get over us, and think about how I can bless and impact other people. And it takes trust. Trust is hard to give, right? Trust has got to be earned in many ways, and it takes a risk to let other people into my life. It takes a risk to step out and say, here's who I am. You, you know me. You know the good stuff. You probably see the good stuff, but now I'm going to show you the bad stuff as well. That's not easy. It's hard because we all have these dark, kind of cobwebby corners in us that embarrass us, and we don't want other people to see them. But part of getting those corners swept clean is when we allow God's spirit and God's people into them. See, guys, this is the balance of our discussion last week. Last week we said, doggone it, we live to make Jesus make sense. The church isn't for the church. The church is for the world. That's why we're here. That's the mission that we're on. We're not just here to love each other. How we're fueled to do that is by sharing life together. We share life together to train us, to fuel us, to challenge us, to step out and make Jesus make sense to a world that we love. Doing life together builds disciples who make disciples. That's what we do. And we're more effective together. That's why we plant campuses, right? Because there's some things that we just do better when we're together. It's like synergistic, right? Like synergy is like one plus one is not two. One plus one is like two and a half or three. Like we can get more done together when we share life together. We said at the beginning, like across the board, we all hate loneliness. Loneliness stinks. And if you're feeling loneliness tonight, I really challenge you. I really challenge you to pursue Jesus maybe in a new way, in a fresh way. And I really challenge you to let the church be a part of your life. Like we all have that choice to make. When we're followers of Jesus, we get to experience the power of a relationship with Christ. We get to experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit living inside of us the intimacy living inside of us. We get to experience the love of the Father, a Father in heaven who like absolutely adores us. Last week we said he delights in us, right? He adores us. And we get to experience the power of real, genuine relationships, the church being the church. But we each have to make that decision to say, I will do that. Like it it is now a priority in my life There's things I stop doing in order to do this.
because we all, we all only have so many hours in the day. But can I tell you this? It is absolutely worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Not only do we receive and are we, do we grow, but we get a chance to impact others and we get a chance to do it in community and relationships together. And there is nothing like it. So, Father, I am so grateful that you allow me to be a part of what you're doing here. God, I know what it's like to feel loneliness. Lord, I know what it's like to feel purpose and feel acceptance and feel loved. And it's so much better. Thank you, Lord, that you give us incredible intimacy with you. And you give us incredible intimacy with each other. Thank you that we can share life together. And as we do, we can challenge each other and help each other and encourage each other and spur each other on to go out and make a difference in this world for Jesus with the power of the gospel and the power of your spirit leading us. God, that gives us so much hope. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your plan. Thank you for allowing us to represent you here in this world. We love you and we need you. And we trust you every second of the way. And we will give every bit of the glory to you. In Christ's name.